welcome back to another episode of the Fast Break Layup NBA podcast. It is your boy Samuel here. I got with me a guest co-host, um, my guy Jeff. He did the post-game um, Strickland shows with me um, for most of the second half of the season. Um, you'll know him by Frank Barrett 119 if you're following him on Twitter. And if you're not, you should be. Um, Jeff, say what's up to the people. Uh, what's up? Excited to talk some basketball with you. It's been a little bit since we've uh, we've gotten a chat since our Knicks went out a little <laughs> sooner than we would have liked. Yeah, for sure. So um, most of the actually all of the first round has wrapped up, especially since my last episode. Um, I think as of my last episode, the only team that was to advance was actually there was no team to advance yet. But um, it looked like the Nets series was pretty much over at that point. Um, but yeah, I guess we can start there with, um, the Celtics and the Nets. That series ended the, f- the fastest out of all the series ending in a four Oh sweep. Um, I mean, the Celtics, they did everything in their power to make Katie and Kyrie look as human as possible. And it worked out to their favor to a pretty substantial degree. Um, how, how'd you feel about that series? Um, I had, uh, two main takeaways and I'm going to, I'm going to try not to troll the Nets here, even though it's, it's very it's very difficult not to. But um, the two main takeaways for me are, uh, first, the Celtics are really, really good. Um, they're really well coached. Um, their defense, the, the defensive schemes they brought to make Durant, like you said, make Durant and Kyrie's life as tough as possible were just immaculate. Um Great work by Ime, Udo, <laughs> Ime Udoka, and honestly, great work by Brad Stevens for having the humility to understand that his voice wasn't, you know, reaching the players in the locker room, and to see he needed to take a step back and find someone whose voice would reach them. Um, it's clear Udoka has just is reaching his players, and he has the schemes to back it up. Um. The Celtics just really don't have any weaknesses. Uh, Schwinn has talked a little bit about their half-court offense, but I think when you have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, um, your half-court offense has a pretty high floor. And then they have, you know, Horford, who who still can stretch the floor for a big. They've got Smart, who's really stepped it up recently. They're just a really rock-solid team, and they can beat anyone going forward as far as I'm concerned, e- even the Bucks without Middleton. Um, and the second takeaway, which might be a little bit controversial, but I really think that this series signaled the end of the Super Team era. And what I mean by that is I think the league is about as smart and as prepared as it's ever been. And I just don't think you can get away with playing three really like three really good players, but or two really good players, and then have three guys who are just super flawed. Because teams know these guys' weaknesses. They have them mapped out and they're ready to attack them. And that's what you saw in this series. The Nets, or excuse me, the Celtics simply were not gonna let Katie and Kyrie beat them. And they were like, you know what? If Goran Dragic or Nicholas Claxton or, and I know the Nets were a little unlucky with some injuries. You know, Joe Harris was out for the year. They're going to have Ben Simmons next year. 
who are presumably they're going to have Simmons. Maybe. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, maybe. But the idea still holds up to me. I I don't think you can build a team that way anymore uh, unless it's a really specific example. Like, you have to get really lucky because you're just always going to have glaring weaknesses that smart teams are going to exploit. Um, And so to me, I just think that's a pretty big takeaway from this series that – you really need depth. Depth is as important as it's ever been. You have to have five guys on the court who cannot be played off the court to win a championship these days. Yeah, and the thing with the Nets, they ended up overextending guys throughout the year as they like had to rely on the so-called depth that they had. Like Patty Mills, he ended up I heard I heard on a podcast the other I was listening to a podcast yesterday, um, thinking basketball. Um, and one of the guys was saying that um, that Patty Mills, twenty game, like um, with twenty games left in the season, had already played more minutes than he's ever had in any other season before, and like you could see it on in the way that he played, like his shots were not falling, like he was just overextended to the point where like he's not useful on the court, and that's a problem, um, and that's partially due to um, Joe Harris being injured and like um, the Kyrie situation as well. But this is what happens when, like, you you have to overextend guys and you have to rely on guys that are not really used to doing these roles. And you saw it, Nicholas Claxton um, ended up getting fouled so much in this series that it was a detriment to him. And they had no choice but to play him because the other options were LaMarcus Aldridge, who was, like, 37 years old or whatever he is, um, Blake Griffin, who looks gassed after, like, five minutes of playing time, and um, Andre Drummond, who... No words need to be said about Andre Drummond's impact um, on this team or any team whatsoever the, um, these past couple of years. But yeah, you just saw with the Nets that they were just like overextended. And like, this is what happens when you go really top heavy with guys that are, um, I mean, Katie and Kyrie, they have reputations and like people really like to talk highly of them, but they were easily schemed out of this series. And teams can look to replicate this formula if they have the right personnel. Yeah, uh, I, I, you really got to be a, a bit worried about them going forward because mm-hmm. specifically they were not able to get to the basket. Um, and, you know, Durant and Kyrie are always going to be able to shoot. Uh, Kyrie's got his fun handle. But if they're not getting to the hoop and you're just turning them into mid-range shooters, basically, their best skill is reduced and we saw that in this series like yeah they were they were getting you know in some games 25 30 points but it took them a lot of shots to do it um and you know props to the celtics but i also think that those two guys are you know they're not what they were um you know a few years ago and i to go back to the point i was making the patty mills example really rings true because you know Patty Mills was a big contributor to those Spurs teams. And mm-hmm. that wasn't that long ago, you know? Like, it's not like the Heat in 2014 were playing Patty Mills off the, off the court. Or, you know, the uh, the Rockets, who are as sm- with Maury and D'Antoni, were as smart a franchise, you know, as there was in the league. They should have been able to, you know, oh, Patty Mills, we're going to play you off the court. No, they, they couldn't do it because teams weren't as smart in those days as they are right now. But now all of a sudden, you know, I know Patty Mills is a little bit older, but anytime he was on the court, the Celtics were just like, okay, let's go at him. Let's go at him. And like, 
I'm not implying that this idea of hunting matchups is new. I know LeBron specifically in the playoffs has like, he made a postseason living off that, you know, any team he played, he would just have the guy who was guarding the weak, who was guarded by the weakest defender come screen for him and hunt. But I do think uh, teams are more efficient in the way they exploit mismatches and, the Nets were hurt by that a lot by the Celtics preparation and by their schemes. Yeah. And, and shout out to the Celtics Celtics. Um, I forgot. I think I saw this comparison somewhere, but they kind of, they've kind of, they have, they kind of have a similar feel to that um, 2019 um, Raptors team that won the championship. And I, I definitely see the parallels there. Um, not even just with like the first time head coach and like, you know, you got Kawhi, Jason Tatum, <laughs> But like, yeah, just the team like defensively is really sound, and they they look like they're prepared to to face any team going forward. Um, so yeah, it's going to be interesting to see their second round matchup against the Bucks. Who we'll go into the next series that just finished, um, which I took so much joy in um, the other day. <laughs> um, the Bulls losing four to one. Um, not exactly how I expected. I expected a sweep, but you know. DeMar DeRozan had that fluke game, too, that allowed them to see another day. But, I mean, yeah, the Bucks took care of business, even without Middleton for those last um, three games, I believe it was. Yeah, the last three games, they really took care of business, like really just smacking the Bulls in the mouth. Um, I think every game was a blowout, games three through, four, games three through five. Um, and, yeah, I mean... DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine, as as uh, as offensively talented as they were throughout the regular season, like they say, playoff basketball and regular season basketball are two way different sports. And you saw it with this Bulls team. And, I mean, we saw it with this Bulls team all year. They kind of showed us who they were when they faced good teams. They weren't able to beat a top eight team for majority of the season. So going into this matchup, it was pretty expected that, um, that they were going to lose um, and lose in the fashion that they did. Um, and I know some people probably expected, I know there were, a lot, there were quite a few people that were expecting DeMar to finally dominate those playoff demons that have plagued him over the years, but he just wasn't able to. And that's, that's a credit to Drew Holiday, as well as a credit to, um, um, the Bucks just like double teaming and triple, triple teaming him whenever they could, as well as, um, as well as just DeMar just being DeMar. I mean, like, this is just who he is in the playoffs as well. Like this is, this is no surprise. Um, the one surprise to me was probably Zach Levine and how they utilized him. But um, how did you feel about this series, Jeff? Yeah, I, I have a lot of thoughts on this series because I, I feel very vindicated by it. I mean, we as Nick fans heard all year you yep. know, about this Bulls nonsense about, oh, how do they not get DeRozan? And like, you even had Knicks fans saying it. And mm-hmm. the thing about DeMar DeRozan, and Knicks fans should know because Julius Randle falls under this same paradigm. Uh, or at least the Knicks version of Julius Randle. You know, like if he wants, if he's willing to go somewhere else and be more of a role player, I, I think Julius Randle can impact winning at a high level. But the Julius Randle who is on the Knicks, who is deter- who sees himself as a star, falls under this wide range of players where DeMar DeRozan is the face of this. And what that is, is he's a guy who if you're going to optimize him him and make him the best he can be, your team is never going to win anything because you have to build around him and you have to build around his shot profile. 
And he is not good enough to be a primary initiator on a team that wins anything. He just isn't. He shoots all these mid-range shots, which, you know, is basically, he basically has an ancient shot profile. And yeah, can that be successful in the regular season? It can. Why can it be successful in the regular season? Because he gets probably the most garbage whistle in the league. He shoots 10 free throws a game, and he never gets to the basket ever. He just flails his body and contorts his body on these mid-range shots, and refs fall for it. And then in the playoffs, they stop falling for it. And what happens to his efficiency? It falls off a cliff. And we've seen this time and time and time again. It's just, it's like clockwork. He's never, ever gotten better in the playoffs. He only ever gets worse. Because you just, when you take away his free throws... His efficiency, it, his efficiency has to go down. It's not like his shot profile is going to get better. And, you know, Harden's the same thing, except Harden at his best was so good that even a little regression from him was still good enough to, you know, get his team to close to where it needed to be. That 2018 Rockets team, you know, that could have been a title winner in any other season. But, alas, Chris Paul got hurt and the Warriors are, were great. But DeMar DeRozan isn't good enough. Um, and this is why the Nick we should be happy the Knicks didn't get him, and we should have been happy the whole season. I was happy the whole season, even as DeRozan made his deal with the devil and kept you know hitting these game winners out of pull, pulling them out of a hat. It was just like, all right, just wait until the playoffs. Like we're gonna see what we've always seen. He's gonna regress. The team won't win anything meaningful. Um, and it happened. And you know, I'm not trying to be the you know, hate it, hating at somebody's funeral meme guy, but it's just, it's just, th- th- this is what the Bulls always were. This is why their offseason wasn't as good as all the pundits said it was, because this was always going to be the end result. This is the ceiling for this team. And the downside to DeRozan is when you realize that, when you say, okay, he's not good enough to be the face of a team that wins anything, what's plan B? Plan B is, try to let Levine reach his ceiling and make him the guy. Well, all of a sudden you're paying $28 million to a guy who is one of the worst off-ball players in the league, doesn't ever move, doesn't cut, hates catch and shooting, just stands there when Levine has the ball, and he's somehow worse at defense. This is what DeRozan is. He is the face of purgatory in the NBA. And... Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't really have much to say about the other Bulls because as long as DeRozan's on their team, this is just what they're going to be. Um, and I feel like Levine might just leave. You know, like when, when you've got the Vucevic contract, you've got the DeRozan contract, got the Lonzo Ball contract, you got the Caruso contract, they don't really have much room for maneuvering. And if Levine's smart, I mean, yeah, he, he could just take five or 200 from them. But other teams can give him for uh, a four-year max, and if he wants to win, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he signed if he at least looks elsewhere. And the quote the other day—I don't know if you saw this—but the Bulls' actual um, Twitter page posted Zach's quote about free agency, which was, "I, d- I understand the relationship I've had with um, AK over the last." And the last five years here, I hope the city understands how much I care about the Bulls. I'm going into thing. I'm going into everything open-minded, but knowing how much I've enjoyed my time here. That sounds like a guy that's getting ready to leave. Yeah, uh, I agree. I, I I think I think I mean I would leave if I was him. I wouldn't want to. What What are you going to do? What are they going to do? Vucevic is over thirty. DeRozan's going to be thirty three. Like 
yeah, did they get a little unlucky with the Caruso and the Pat Williams and the Alonzo injuries? Okay. But what is the ceiling for this team, even fully healthy? How do they get better? I don't, I don't see it. And with Lonzo, it was kind of expected. I'm not gonna, like I'm not gonna say it's expected that he would have whatever serious knee injury seems to be this time because they said he's been seeing a knee specialist and knee specialist and knee specialist, and the knee just isn't really getting better. But if you look throughout Lonzo's game log throughout um, his NBA career, you'll see that he's never played more than I think like 63 games in a, se- in a season, and that's going back all the way to his rookie year. So this is a constant issue with him that he's always injured. And it always seems to be the knee as well. So that's a cause for concern, and that's a risk that the Chicago Bulls took. And it paid off for however many games he played this year. I think he played like maybe less than 40 or something it was. But, yeah, I mean, this is this is what it, this is what happens when you rely on um, guys like that. And a lot of people are saying, oh, Lonzo would have made this team really flow in the playoffs. Well, I'm not really so sure about that because I'm not really sure if his game really translates to the postseason all that well. How how do you feel about Lonzo's game in the postseason? Well, the good thing about a guy like Lonzo is the same thing about a guy like Caruso, is that they don't need to... uh, Like, they can both find ways to contribute even if you know their shot isn't falling yeah like defense and passing and stuff like that right right exactly especially a connector like lonzo who just sees the game at such a high level i think his his injury status i think that's a huge bummer as much as much as i you know enjoyed the bulls demise i just really like him as a player um i i hate the whole like oh why didn't the knicks get lonzo it's like dude he signed 10 minutes before free agency opened they got tampering charges. The Knicks didn't have a chance to sign him. Um, yeah. But he he's a really good player. I, I, I see what you're saying in the sense of his, uh, his, his creation. Def- yeah, his half-court game, his creation deficiencies are only going to become more glaring in the postseason when defenders are better. But I still think his shooting and his connectivity could have helped them a lot. It would have taken some of the burden off of DeRozan and Levine. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously they're not going to get worse with Lonzo, you know, like he's, yeah. he's a good player. Um, what degree he could have helped them, you know, the jury's out on that one. I, I don't think they were beating the bucks regardless. Um, yeah. you know, there was that meme all season where the bulls were like, the bulls account was like, Oh, they said we couldn't beat good teams. And it's like, yeah, well you didn't beat a good team all season. So what are yeah. they going to beat the defending? They're, they're going to beat the defending champs. I, I don't think so. Yeah, I didn't see it either. I mean, I, th- I there was a slim glimmer that I thought the Bulls would make this an interesting series when Middleton went down, but then that just opened the door for Grayson Allen to just go bananas against them, and like they just didn't have a chance after that. And, and Middleton yeah. hasn't really been that consistent this year either, too. So, like, his impact wasn't really that nearly um, missed in this series. And we haven't even said his name yet, but. Yeah. Uh, Giannis just mm-hmm. basically said, "Okay, Middleton's out. I got it. I know what I got to do now." And honestly, it's a it, as an NBA fan, the Giannis discourse is just getting offensive. Like this idea that Durant is still somehow better than him. Get the fuck out of here, man! What are, what are you talking about? How is Giannis not the best player in the NBA right now? In what universe is he not the best player in the league? Um. He's just completely dominant on both ends. And people just have this obsession with 
what they're seeing and not trusting the actual results. And Giannis's post postseason run last year was unbelievable. And he's back. He backed it up through one round of this season. He was great in the regular season. Like the whole, like, I mean the whole, Oh, if Durant's foot was whatever, a little bit smaller, they would have like, it's total first nonsense. of all, yeah, it's just, it's just absolute nonsense. It was all of last year. They just, NBA fans just can't be happy. That's what it is. Like they need yep. every single playoffs. Think, think about it. Ever since the Warriors last won their championship, like the Warriors championships were real because we all knew the Warriors were the best. 2019 didn't count because of injuries. 2020 didn't count because of the bubble. 2021 didn't count because of injuries. At certain points, just like, I, I'm not saying there's the best, nothing to ever make them happy. Exactly. And you just have to like live with the results. You know, everybody deals with injuries. It happens every year. And we're seeing and it again is, this year. Right, we're seeing it again this year. Is there a little luck involved in winning a, cha- winning a championship? Of course it is. But stop trying to find reasons to like say a championship doesn't matter. That's just total bullshit. Yeah. Um. And with um, with the with 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 the whole Giannis discourse too, I think it's also a ga- uh, uh, it's also a matter that his game isn't the most aesthetically pleasing to some people, as like Kevin Durant's game is with the jump shots and the and the handles and all that good stuff, but. I mean, Giannis, like, some of the passes that Giannis makes, I don't think Kevin Durant could make. Like, out of a double team, you saw what Kevin Durant was doing. Like, Giannis out of a double team can easily um, find his teammates way better than Kevin Durant did in the, in that series. I mean, just, like, the way that he's able to dominate on the defensive end. Um, as As just a rim protector that Kevin Durant can't be, like, just stuff like that. Like I don't think people take into account when they're talking about the best player, which is which is sad, but yeah, yeah, hundred percent agree. He had this one pass uh, in Game Five where he was on the uh, the right block with his back back to the basket, and the Bulls sent a double, and he just like used his length to like reach around the help defender and then flicked a cross court pass to the corner, and it was yeah, you're a hundred percent right. He's he just does all these things so well, and he's he's just he's an amazing player. Yeah. Um, moving on to the next series that um, finished out out east, which was probably the first. I think this was the first playoff series to get started, and one of the and was the absolute last Eastern playoff series to get finished. It was the Sixers versus the Raptors. Oh man, let's get into this one because we had. Sixers dominating this series pretty much in games one and two, and in game three they hit the um, Embiid hits the game winner to go up three zero, and we're all thinking, all right, Raptors will probably win at least one more game, and then this goes to game five and it's over. It goes to game four. It it appears that the Raptors have dis- had discovered something. Um, with Thaddeus Young in the lineup and Scotty Barnes back in the lineup and Fred Van Vliet out of the lineup. And they won game four, and everyone was like, okay, this is going to get interesting now because Doc Rivers, 3-1 lead. We all know how this goes. They go into Philadelphia in game five, and they just basically shut that crowd up um, in Philadelphia. And it, it it was a great game to watch. Um, you just had guys like going at Embiid on several possessions. Guys were switch hunting for Embiid. They knew he wasn't into the game, and his thumb was obviously bothering him as well. 
And it was just a pathetic game from guys like James Harden and and, and Tyrese Maxey and all those supporting pieces. And uh, yeah, after that, it really got interesting because now it's 3-2 heading back to Toronto. We know Toronto's home court is a huge advantage for them. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, Philadelphia takes care of business in game six with a blowout. Um, Joel Embiid gets injured in the process, fracturing his orbital bone as well as... Um, as well as getting a concussion. So he's out indefinitely heading into the next series. Um, but yeah, how'd you feel about this series, Jeff? Um, well, I hate the Sixers with a passion. <laughs> so uh, do um, I. So do I. <laughs> I mean, Harden and Embiid are just not fun basketball players to watch at they all. Aren't. And we played um, them back to back as soon as they acquired James Harden, which was not fun. Yeah, I mean how many times can you watch two guys outshoot the other team from the free throw line as they, and they, you know, I know Embiid is a seven foot, seven foot, 300 pound guy who plays like he's six foot, 150. He's just out there flailing around. And it's just like, they're they're They don't even like 75% of the time. They're not even trying to play basketball. They're just trying to trick the refs. It's just not fun to watch. Um, with that being said, you never want anybody to get injured, especially not, somebody who is rightfully in the MVP conversation. Um, I don't know why Doc still had him out there, and I don't know why that's not more of the discussion. He there and, point, and, there and were, funny enough, I just saw a quote that came out today of why he had Embiid still in the game. You want to hear his reasoning? I do. The other team had all their guys in. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> That's just that's so bad. Uh, it's it's funny. Like I, I wish I had said something, but I was thinking like with four minutes left, like you're up twenty five. Get your guys out of there. And I don't, I don't. Yeah, I don't get why he was. I don't get why he was out there. Um, so it's sad because, and we'll get we'll get to this later. But Heat Sixers would have been fun. Uh, yeah. With with two as as fun as Harden and Embiid watching Harden and Embiid can be. Um. <laughs> And Kyle Lowry, good lord, and Butler, holy shit, that would have been all right. Never mind that that series wouldn't have been fun. Now I'm glad I don't have to watch it. Good lord, because Butler's another foul free throw merchant. guy. Yeah, yeah. All he does is, you know, he's like a DeRozan type. All he does is contort his body anytime he's touched. And good lord, um, <laughs> can the can the Bucks or the Celtics just win the East, please? <laughs> um, uh, but from a basketball standpoint. I mean, the Raptors just didn't have enough. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure they had enough, you know, the whole series, but, you know, they they lost Scotty Barnes early. They lost Fred Van Vliet for the last few games. They were never fully healthy, and they were never that deep to begin with. You know, they, they relied basically on six guys. Um, so Philly – would have been better served, obviously, to just close it out in four and five and four or five. And this is why you have to respect each game. I mean, this is why coming out in game five and laying an absolute egg, it it you just you open the door for stuff like this. This isn't me saying that they like deserve to have Embiid get hurt. That's nonsense. Yeah, and I don't I don't believe yeah. that. But you know, when he's already playing injured, this type of stuff, the chance of this stuff happening increases the more yep. minutes he has to play. Um I, I really, uh, I, to say a positive thing about Philly, you know, Doc Rivers basically got buried after game five. 
And I really thought he coached a good game in Game 6. They, they looked like a different team, both schematically and from a rotation standpoint. He staggered Maxi and Harden more, which you just have to do. I, I, know, I know they see Embiid and Harden as the stars, but um, Maxi is closer to Harden than Harden is to Embiid right now, uh, yeah. especially when you take away Harden's whistle. And you need a perimeter initiator like that when Harden's not on the court. So Maxi needs to play 100% of minutes that Harden doesn't play. And he did that in Game 5. And um, yeah, I thought they basically realized their advantages in Game 6. Excuse me, Game 6. They, they realized where they had their advantages, and they attacked those areas. And I, I, I thought Doc Rivers coached a heck of a game in Game 6. Um and that's st- and that staggering is going to be even more important in the next series as they begin without um without Embiid. Yeah, absolutely. Because now all of a sudden they're Maxi's their second best player, or yeah, 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 second, second or third, depending on what you think of Tobias Harris. Yeah, I don't think that much of Tobias, so he's definitely behind Maxi <laughs> on the on the on the on the totem pole there. But um, with the Raptors, I mean. For them, it's going to be interesting to see how they approach the season because I feel like they've discovered some some pretty um, some gems there. I know pre- coming into the season, a lot of people weren't really high on Precious Achua, including myself, because he just hadn't shown that much. But um, he really like he's really like turned into something for them. Um, they definitely need to get more depth on this team, despite how Nick Nurse coaches. They still need to get some depth. They need some big men because Kevin Kembridge at 6'9", be your starting center, isn't really ideal, especially when you're in a conference with um, Giannis and um, Joel Embiid. So it's going to be interesting to see how they approach the offseason. Yeah, the, the tough thing about them playing like a true center is that their obsession with length, they're, they're already kind of hurting on shooting, even, even when they play small. Mm-hmm. Siakam and Scotty Barnes aren't really like at least Bar- you're right exactly they're they don't get the respect that most spacing four and fives get um so when you add like a true center to that equation it, it gets a little bunched worse. up right it, it gets a little bunched up um so I agree with you Kim Birch cannot be the answer at center but I mean, maybe you just toss Boucher in there because Boucher is taller, he protects the rim better, and he can shoot some. Um, I, I don't get why they weren't doing that already. Like, Boucher's got to be better than Birch, uh, both from a fit standpoint and from just an output standpoint. Yeah, and, and I think they kind of discovered that in the second half of Game 6, especially when Boucher was had, like, what, 19 first-half points. So... Yeah, that really, that really, that really did change the outlook um, of things for them. Although they did end up getting smacked in the second half. But um, <laughs> moving on to the ne- the last series in the East, another fun one for Knicks fans. Miami Heat beat the um, the Hawks four one with Trey Young looking as pathetic as can be. I mean, the Heat they really did an excellent job of making Trey as uncomfortable as possible in this series. And really making him look human compared to how he looked um, in last year's playoffs. I mean, <clears throat> last year you didn't see the Knicks or Philadelphia really throw anything to really throw him off his game that much. And you can argue that in the Knicks series that defense wasn't their biggest problem. It was probably offense. 
which I don't really want to get into because it's Knicks related and don't really want to speak about the Knicks right now. But um, we're going back to the Hawks and, and, and Heat. The Heat really did a good job of just throwing several bodies at him. I mean, there was one play that stuck out to me. I believe it was in game four. It was he called for a screen. He had P.J. Tucker on him. Then he had Bam on him. Then he called for another screen. And then he went from Bam to Jimmy. And, like, it just no matter where he went on the court, like, he just couldn't find an opening to get at least a passable defender on him, like a Tyler Hero or something like that. But, yeah, it, it, it was very interesting to see the way they, they guarded him. Um, And, yeah, how would you feel about this series? Well, I don't know if you heard, but the only reason the Hawks lost this series is because of Cam Reddish. So... <laughs> Um, um shout out to the Hawks beat just like throwing like strays from like mid-October mid-November games. <laughs> yeah, and in the, in the Atlantic eating it up so they can get the get the Knicks clicks, you know, like oh, Cam Reddish is on the Knicks. Let's let's shit on him. Um No, but see, I mean, you you nailed it. Uh the Heat had the personnel to basically just throw everyone at Trey Young and he couldn't he couldn't get to the hoop. Um his shot, his shot profile was, or his shot chart, or whatever you want to call it, was like insane. Like he was just <laughs> shooting all, all long threes. He didn't get to the hoop at all. Obviously, his reason for that was, oh, they weren't calling fouls and whatever bullshit. Um, Typical Hawks crying, right? Um, but this was just. I mean, the Heat are just way better. I know that's you know simplistic, but um, yeah, the Heat were just a way better team. Uh, I think the Hawks would have been um, better served trying something different. Um, they basically spammed uh, Okongwu and Capella at center, and. I think that plays right into a team with Bam Adebayo's hands. Um, I think they could have been pretty well served to at least try John Collins at the five. I know, you know, a lot of the Knicks fans I talk to aren't the highest on John Collins, which is whatever. Including but, myself. Um, <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, is that as much of a tweener as he is, when somebody's a tweener in today's NBA – it's almost always in your best interest to try them at the position at the, at the bigger position. Um, if Colin, like if you put Collins with like Gallo, like, yeah, your defense is going to suffer, but the Hawks defense wasn't stopping anybody anyway. Um, and so what you would do is you would pull bam from the paint and you would at least make them think and make them have to adjust from their baseline, uh, scheme. And they didn't do that at, at, at all. And as an underdog, that's what your goal should always be. Your goal should always be, at a bare minimum, to try and make this better team do something different than what they're comfortable doing. And if you can do that, you give yourself a better chance to win. And the Hawks just never made the Heat uncomfortable. Um, I think in Game 2, they actually started Collins. I think that's when he actually first came back. Um, let me just He started at center? I believe so, and everyone was actually laughing at them that game, which was hilarious. Uh-huh. Let me see. Uh, box score, game two. Yeah, they started Collins at center with Gallinari at the power forward. And that was probably, I think, one of the closer games in that series, too, which is funny. Um, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, that that game, they actually had, they were they were actually like in a pretty um, 
um, pretty contested matchup. Um, Bogdanovich went like super crazy in that game too. Um, oh, was that was that was that when Capella missed that game? Yeah, Capella missed that game. Yeah, he missed the first okay. two, but um, I think in game one, John Collins wasn't available, so they went okay. Okongu at center, and he played about like twenty minutes, and he had like four fouls. But in game two, they went, John Collins finally came back, and he started at center, and. He had like thirteen and and ten in, in in about thirty minutes. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm not the biggest Collins fan either. I I just think <laughs> that, uh, I, I think that pigeonholing him as a power forward is, I mean, Knicks fans should be familiar with that. It's to me the same problem with pigeonholing Obi as a power forward, even if you and don't. It, and see this was it in game three too, which is the game that they won. And then Capella came back and they went away from it. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, yeah, I mean, like, even if you don't see guys like John Collins or Obi Toppin as, you know, full-time centers, which I think is a totally reasonable opinion, mm-hmm. you have to you have to play them at center sometimes. And that's what the smart teams are doing. I mean, we seem to always bring it back to the Clippers because Ty Lue is a really good coach. But, like, Ty Lue, like, had, like, freaking Terrence Mann playing center. You know, like... You just you you can't just pigeonhole these guys anymore. They're too versatile, and opposing teams are too smart. Uh, and you're never you're never challenging them if you're just do, doing the same thing over and over again. And that was a big thing that athletic article said about McMillan. Outside of blaming Cam Reddish, was that <laughs> McMillan kind of had a little bit of Tibbs in him in that he sort of just did the same things over and over again, and he didn't really he wasn't willing to adjust or try new things. Um, and I think the Hawks would have been well-served to try that, even if, you know, they were never going to win the series. Yeah. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with their team. Um, I know a lot of fans want to see Jalen Johnson get more minutes. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how they approach that situation. Um, and Capella, too. I, I, don't, I, I know a lot of fans are... Um, or high on um, Okongu. Um, the only issue with Okongu is probably the fouling, but it's going to be interesting to see if they move on from Capella to give Okongu a chance and then stagger between um, John Collins and um, Jalen Johnson at power forward. So we'll see what they do there. The, this is the, – the Hawks seem to be another team, and uh, the, you can't ha- try to have your cake and eat it too in this league. And the mm-hmm. Knicks – this is what me and you talked about so much with the Knicks in their in their post games. The Knicks wanted to compete while also having these young guys. They basically did not pick a lane. You have to pick a lane. And when you're a team like the Hawks, they're not good enough to win a championship right now. They just aren't. A core of Trey Young, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Gallo, 33-year-old Gallo and Clint Capella aren't Th- those guys aren't going to win you a championship. You have to have the humility to say, okay, I know we have Trey Young. I know we love Trey Young and we hope he's a Hawk for life, but we need to get better players around him. And we know what these older players are. You have to have the humility to say that. And the Knicks had to do that too. And they didn't do it. And Jalen Johnson and I guess Sharif Cooper, who I extent, yeah. am, Right, but I'm not high on him at all. He can't share the court with Trey Young. That would be a disaster. Um, but whatever. <laughs> I mean, imagine those two playing together. That would just be a joke. Um, but still, 
you have to be willing to take a step back to take two steps forward. Um, and I think Jalen Johnson kind of represents that to Hawks fans. And I think they're just saying like, well, if we're not going to win a championship, how is playing Jalen Johnson, even if he's a little bit worse right now, he's at least an unknown in terms of what his ceiling is. And so I think the Hawks would be making a huge mistake if Jalen Johnson wasn't in their rotation next season. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's, 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 he's flashed some things that, um, that can help them. Um, I mean, he's a little raw, but like the point of like playing him is to make sure that he's not raw going into next year. So, but, um, let's head out over West. And we'll probably start with the most annoying series. I'll say, which was the Memphis Grizzlies versus the Minnesota Timberwolves. That one just wrapped up yesterday. I fell asleep actually at the beginning of the fourth quarter of this one. And I woke up by the time the final buzzer sounded, but I did see the last like four minutes or so. And I actually tweeted out before the end of, um, before the end of game six and before I fell asleep that over under 10 minutes, that 10 real life minutes that um, the Minnesota Timberwolves blow this lead because throughout this series, they blown, I think it was like three or four double digit fourth quarter leads in this series. I mean, if they don't blow at least two of those leads, they already have won the series in this game, in this, in the series. So that just tells you all you need to know about this series. Jaw had a pretty underwhelming series, I will say, um, for all the talking that he did um, throughout social media, in the media, whatever it may be. Pretty underwhelming series from him. Um, and, I mean, Minnesota had the, t- had the personnel to kind of make it that way, too. And, um, yeah, I mean, and, and Cat also. Cat had a pretty underwhelming series as well. Him and, 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 and Triple J were trying to have a competition of who could compete, who could commit the, the most dumb fouls in a playoff game. <laughs> this whole series like this series was probably just the most infuriating one from that standpoint of just like watching these teams try to outdumb each other in like things that they were doing like desmond bain pushing a coach in the middle of playoff game like how did he not expect to get a technical there i mean just all these different types of things but how'd you feel about this series because i did not enjoy it as much as people anticipated it to be um yeah, I think I enjoyed it a little bit more than you. I agree there was a lot of mental blunders, but, you know, there are a couple of young teams. Yeah. Um, I think it's really cool to see, like, fans of teams that haven't gotten, you know, like, especially the Timberwolves, their fans were super into it. That's yeah, that always was good cool to see. To see. Um, I mean, I had the same takeaway about Jaws you did. Uh, look, I, I agree with you. The, the Timberwolves were uniquely equipped to slow him down but i mean he was awful he wasn't just bad he was awful um he's gonna be his output even though people are correctly realizing he wasn't very good is actually overrating him which is saying something but like his his counting stats you know like oh you averaged almost a triple double but he was just really bad uh when you when he couldn't get to the rim he couldn't really beat guys off the bounce um, he made no mid-range shots at all, which was, you know, his bread and butter on the season. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I would go so far as to say that he was what their third best player in the series behind Bain and, uh, Brandon Clark. 
Um, tied there for like Tyus Jones and Dylan Brooks. And yeah, sure. Games. I mean, like he was he, <laughs> he was just he was just not very good. Um, so I mean, easy analysis there. He has to be better if they're going to beat the Warriors. I think he will be better. I think the, I don't think the Warriors are as um, well equipped to stop him, but the Warriors are one of the smartest teams in the league. And Draymond Green is one of the best defenders of all time. Um, let's not get that mistaken. So, yeah. and by the way, the refs, the way that the refs treat playoff Draymond, I mean, he hops around and complains about any time he gets a whistle, but like they never call a foul on him ever. So you think like when Ja goes to the rim, his life at the rim is going to be tougher with Draymond, Draymond meeting him there both because he's great and because he has a very friendly whistle around the rim. Um, so, you know, I, I do expect the Ja and the, the Grizzlies to play better, but uh, the Warriors ain't no walk in the park either. Yeah. Um, I, I'm curious to get your opinion on this. Uh, I went back and forth a little bit on Twitter with somebody last night. Um, the other side of the ball, the Timberwolves, my takeaway from that is just D'Angelo Russell has to go. Um, oh, for sure. So yeah. I, I think I think D'Angelo Russell, you know, kind of falls similar uh, under a similar similar paradigm as DeRozan and Randall, as I was talking about before. He's mm. at his best when he has the ball in his hands. But when you have Towns and Edwards on your team, you don't want him to have the ball in his hands as much as he'd like it to. And Russell's another guy who just doesn't move off the ball. And, you know, I know early in the year there was all this, like, oh, Russell's trying on defense now. He's not a good defender. He just isn't. Uh, I defy anybody to watch the fourth quarter of that game before he got pulled correctly to tell me he's a good defender. He's not a good defender. He doesn't try. He's just he's just not a very good team basketball player. Um, and he's not good enough at the individual star stuff that he profiles as to justify a high usage. So when you have Towns and Edwards on your team, I don't see what role there is for a D'Angelo, a guy who profiles like D'Angelo Russell. And I think they'd be better suited, you know, cutting ties with him this off season. Do you think you agree with that? Oh, for sure. I mean, I'm someone that was already pretty low on D'Angelo Russell. So going into this series and seeing how he played kind of just like vindicated me for my beliefs on him. Um, yeah, he just, he was really pathetic in this series. I mean, I think he was averaging 12 points on like 33% from the field. I mean, you saw in that game six, the offense started humming way more when they pulled him and Jordan McLaughlin was out there. Like, I mean, he was just getting guys easier looks. He was moving the basketball quicker, had more effort on defense. And like McLaughlin's like, what, like four inches shorter than him. So like, and I'm not saying like height plays into it all, but like he's like shorter, so he's at a disadvantage, and he still ended up looking way better than D'Angelo Russell did. But yeah, I was someone that was already pretty low on D'Angelo Russell in this series, kind of just like, kind of just like made that more clear that that was the correct angle to have. And yeah, I mean, Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns, despite how pathetic he looked in various parts of this series. They're, they're they're just way better players than him, and like you said, that you don't need the ball in his hands, and for him to thrive, he needs it in his hands. So it's going to be interesting to see how they move forward with that situation because they do have some pieces that work for them in their favor that they can pretty much go 
um, pretty pr- go pretty well along the way without him. I mean, you saw Jaden McDaniels have a coming out party in this game with um, 24 points off the bench. And you got guys like Malik Beasley who can provide that shooting that you need if you really need that shooting from him. But yeah, I mean, they, they do need to move on from him. Yeah, the J.D. McDaniels shout-out is a good one because, I mean, we better have seen the last Jared Vanderbilt starting power forward. It doesn't make any sense. I know, I know Towns is, you know, a stretch center. So um, you've got Vanderbilt and Towns sort of cross, cross-matching cross in the sense of um, on offense you have Vanderbilt profiling as their center, you know, operating inside the paint. But... Towns doesn't need to just be a perimeter center. He's great on the block. And when he's, and, and, and that enhances his perimeter game when he's a threat on the block and other teams are trying to take that away from him, that opens up the perimeter from him. But when he's playing with Vanderbilt, he's pushed to the outside because they need that spacing. Um, McDaniels just opens up space for Towns he makes the team better in a way Vanderbilt doesn't. I'm not saying Vanderbilt's a bad player. I just think he needs to come off the bench. And I think their best starting five is McLaughlin, Beverly, Edwards, McDaniels, Towns. Um, And if you're going to hold... And Russell and Vanderbilt can come off the bench. That's fine. Um... You could make the argument that Russell playing against opposing bench players and playing less with Edwards and Towns actually helps him because yeah. he 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 justifies a higher usage more. Um, but this is one of those examples that we were talking about earlier. The Timberwolves, just because they had a nice little playoff run, um, and there's another team out west that falls under this blanket as well that we'll talk about in a bit, the Pelicans. But you can't overrate one playoff run. Like I know it was exciting. I know it was cool to see the fans, but you still have to stay the course and trust the process. And, um, the Timberwolves have to understand that this franchise is going as far as Anthony Edwards ceiling takes them. Towns is a really good player, but he is what he is. He is best suited to be the second best player on a team that can win at a meaningful level which means that for them to contend, they need Anthony Edwards to be the superstar. So, you know, some some people might say, oh, well, if they don't have D'Angelo Russell in the starting lineup, you know, Edwards isn't ready to be that guy. I don't give a shit. Let Live with his speed bumps. He was your number one overall pick. Let him develop into the primary initiator you believe he can be. Um, surround him with shooters guys who will work their ass off on defense. And you know what? If you take a small step back next year, but Edwards blossoms on an individual level, it'll be worth it. Exactly. And the Timberwolves have to be willing to do that. And that's the thing that a lot of teams don't like to do. I mean, we've seen it with our Knicks. We've seen it with the Hawks. We see it. We're probably going to see it over and over and over again. But yeah, these teams, they really do that one playoff run kind of like, it, it, it forces teams because this NBA is like so like teams evolve at such a high level or you see other teams evolve at such a high level. You think that you're supposed to be on that same track as well. So when you hit that first glimpse of success, you feel as though it, the need to 
to continue along that path. And sometimes you make moves that end up setting you back when you wanted to actually take a step forward. And we see it all the time with these younger teams. Yeah, people think uh, people think that development and progress is linear. And it's not. So like they, they think it works like NBA 2K or Madden where like, you know, you're at this level one year, so you're just going to keep getting a little bit better each year. Mm-hmm. And if we've learned anything as Knicks fans, it's not. Um, and you could, I mean, I know that I might get some pushback on this, and I know the 2021 season was fun, but you could actually make the argument that the 21, 20, 2021 season hurt the Knicks' trajectory because all of a sudden we believe that we had a team that was closer than it than it actually was. Yeah, for um, sure. And rather than using the 2022 season to keep developing quickly in Obi, amongst other people, Grimes, you know, when we traded for Reddish, we basically believed that, well, we went 41 and 31 last year, so and we, we only got, you know, all of our young guys got a year older, so we should be better. No, it doesn't really work like that. We weren't actually a 41 and 31 team. Um, we ran hot in a lot of areas and we had to have the humility to respect that and still stay the course. And we didn't. Um, and I think the Timberwolves would be well served to do that. Man, that's the hard part about team building that isn't really highlighted in those um, those championship DVDs when teams win it all. Um, but yeah, moving on to the next series out west. Um, ended in a quick five games. Golden State versus Denver. Golden State pretty much dominated, especially with Jordan Poole having his coming out party in those first three games. Um, game four was a little bit different. Jordan Poole struggled. Um, and Stephen Clay kind of took the reins in, on that one in game five. In game four, um, series headed back to Golden State for game five. And um, it was a pretty tightly close contested game. Um, but you know, Steph and Gary Payton Jr. Um, and Clay kind of handled business in that fourth quarter to get the job done. So, how'd you feel about this series, Jeff? Um, yeah, my thoughts basically are just the Warriors are really good, and yeah. I hope people don't use it as a reason to dismiss Jokic's you know, MVP candidacy, which I know they will do, but this Nuggets team was a joke. Um, (laughs) And I mean, they won 48 games and their second best player was like Aaron Gordon or Will Barton. This was, this team would have, if Jokic, you know, tore his ACL or had some weird injury on opening night, if this team didn't have Jokic, they would have they would have had the number one pick or they would have been in the running for the number one pick. Oh, for um, sure. You know, they, they were, they were depending on Austin rivers to, to guard Steph Curry. Like th- this team just was not good outside of Jokic. And he was really, really good. Um, and they almost won game five. Like they, they played really well in game five. Um, and they very easily could have won game three. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the the Warriors are just a really well-oiled machine. They're obviously not what they were when they had KD, but they, 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 they look very similar. You know, they cut, they, they, they cut with purpose. 
Um, their defense, you know, it's not quite what it was, but it's still very much on a string. You've got Draymond and, and the, on the back patrolling. Uh, you know, he's always talking and he's always getting guys in the right places. Um, and I, I think they're going to beat Memphis and I think they're going to beat Memphis pretty handily, to be honest. Um, their depth worries me a little bit. I know Gary Payton, the second had a fun game, but I mean, can Gary Payton to really be the, you know, sixth or seventh best player on, on your team? I don't think so. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you were going to look to one area where maybe another team might be able to exploit the Warriors, it would be that outside of their starting five, uh, or excuse me, their their new death lineup, I, I don't know if it's going to remain their starting five against Memphis, but it's cool step. Yeah, I agree, because Memphis is bigger. Um, but po- outside of Poole, Steph, Clay, Wiggins, and Draymond, the, the Warriors are actually pretty light on guys who can stay on the floor against good playoff teams. So that'll be something to look out for against Memphis. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see if Otto Porter kind of regains his earlier season form. I mean, I mean, I remember early in the season, a lot of people were saying that he was a steal for golden state on the one year deal because his production was kind of outplaying how much he actually was making. And um, so far in this playoff series, I don't think he's really had a good game. Um, and he hasn't really showed up. But it's going to be interesting to see if he does show up. Um, they also play. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if they use Kaminga as a bigger wing to maybe um, bother John Morant a little bit. Because I know bigger wings have a little bit more success in bothering John Morant and, and stuff like that. So it's going to be interesting if they use him. Bielitsa, even playing that game five, although he was playing earlier in that series. I feel like with the war with this year's Warriors team, it's going to be. I don't think their rotation is going to stay one way. I think it's going to be a lot of switching around different pieces. Maybe you'll have Kuminga and 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 maybe you might play Damian Lee and Moses Moody more in this series. And like, I feel like that's the way things are going to go for Golden State for them to be successful. They just need their top three guys to be um be on point as well as Draymond they're showing the defense. And I feel like. If you just get some extra production from whoever else Steve Kerr decides to insert, then then they'll be okay. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Uh, I think they're gonna win the series, like I said. But um, you know, if maybe Phoenix, if they if they meet Phoenix in the uh, in the conference finals, they're, they they. Eh, I guess I guess Phoenix isn't the deepest team either, but. Um, they're definitely more equipped to exploit a lack of depth than Memphis may be. Um, but you gotta, you gotta love all the different, I mean, we, we were talking about it with, with Memphis's first round series. Um, Memphis has a lot of good players, you know, like they, very deep. So it's, I mean, it was always a joke all season that people had John Moran, the MVP conversations, like team went freaking what did they go like 16 and and two two. without him or something right 20 20 and two two, there you go um they go 20 and two without you first of all the main reason Embiid isn't winning mvp is because he his availability was lower than Jokic's. um so i don't know why ja morant who's much worse than Embiid, misses 22 games and we have to get him in the mvp conversation um 
but his impact has just always been grossly overstated. Um, he's a really good player. I'm not trying to take that away from him. I assume he'll be an all NBA player this year and I think he'll have deserved it, but um, they're a deep team and they can live with uh, John Morant, you know, getting shut down a little bit as they proved against Minnesota. So it's going to be a fun series to watch. It is moving on to one of the last series that kind of ended in the West. Um, Dallas versus Utah. This is a very interesting series because it was the coming out party of Jalen Brunson, basically. Um, really rose to the occasion. His numbers increased all around in the playoffs. Um, and then we had Luka inserted mid-series and kind of just like went business as usual, just going right back to his regular self. Um, didn't really look that's like... He really, he really didn't look like he sustained an injury, or at least he was coming back from sustaining an injury, which is very, which, which should be very encouraging for, um, for Dallas fans. But yeah, I mean, um, they, some of these games were close, some of them were blowouts, um, but it was very interesting to see um, how Utah looked in a lot of these games. I mean, Donovan Mitchell didn't really look that great in a lot of these games, especially defensively, like defensively, this series really highlighted his defensive deficiencies. Um, I mean, you saw Mike Conley is probably heading into the last stages of his career, especially in this series. He did not look good at all. Um, and yeah, I mean, they're, they're, um, Utah's depth is something that really, I don't know. Utah's a very they're gonna be a fun team to talk about in the offseason, I believe. But um yeah, for Dallas, I mean, they really have things going with their team. Um each player knows what they're supposed to do. Um and yeah, I mean it's it, it's gonna be very interesting to see how they play in that next series against Phoenix. How how'd you feel about this series? Uh yeah, uh starting with Utah, you know. Uh, I agree with you. Mitchell's defense got exposed. Um, I will say that for the Knicks fans who are like, oh, I just saw Mitchell's defense up close and I don't want him anymore. One thing to remember is that if you're getting Mitchell, you know, Tibbs isn't going to touch his offense, but he'll, he'll get what he can out of Mitchell's defense. And Mitchell, despite his defensive woes, he profiles as someone who should be a good defender. It's mainly just mental lapses and effort. But, um, you know, obviously there's a downside to that. We saw it with Julius Randle this year. But we saw with Julius Randle in 2020 what he could be on defense when Tibbs is getting the max out of him. So, you know, um, I agree that Mitchell's defense was exploited and was not very good in this series. But... You know, if the right deal is there, I don't think that I don't think Knicks fans should be turned off by it. Um, I do think they're going to do something. I would be shocked if they just ran back the Gobert Mitchell pairing. Um, I think the Gobert ha- the Gobert hate has just been taken way too far. I, I I sometimes feel like I'm watching a different sport than other people, or I'm watching a different game than other people. When I just see every Jazz defender get torched at the point of attack and then Gobert has to choose between letting the guy have a layup or cheating off his guy in the corner and going to protect the rim. Um, And then 
they built a scheme to help that where the guy closest to Gobert's shooter is supposed to hedge over and stunt and rotate to that shooter. But then the Jazz defenders, especially Boyan Bogdanovich, wouldn't do that. And so I don't know why people are like, oh, well, that's Gobert's fault. Um, you know, is Gobert a limited player? Yes, he is. But make no mistake about it. Gobert has been the Jazz's most valuable player in the regular season for five years now. Um, and he's become, at least as a regular season player, underrated to me. Um, I agree with you on the depth concerns. Conley's done. Uh, I think that I don't understand why Quinn Snyder didn't have Jordan Clarkson in in some of these big, close moments. Um, he can do things that Conley just can't anymore, and he would have allevi- alleviated the burden that Mitchell had to carry. So it'll be interesting to see what they do next year at that position. I know they view Clarkson as a... Uh, a sixth man, but unless they make a serious upgrade, I mean, he's better than Conley and I think he has to play more serious minutes. So yeah, those are my thoughts on the jazz. Uh, like you said, they're a very interesting team that can go in a number of directions. And I think the only thing that's certain is that it would be very surprising if they just stood pat. Um, as far as the Mavericks go, they're just a weird team to me, man, because at first sight, when you look at their roster, it certainly feels like it's Luka and a bunch of, you know, average to not very good players. But a lot of their guys stepped up. I know Luka was great, but Dorian Finney-Smith had a really good series. As you said, Jalen Brunson had a really good series. Uh, Maxi Kleba and Dwight Powell, like, basically alternated games as to which big was going to step up. They were both... They... they, they combined had a nice series um Dinwiddie played way better than he did in the regular season uh especially in a few games so I kind of feel like they're gonna give the Suns a tough I think they're gonna be a tough out for the Suns and I think they actually match up with them sneakily well what do you think yeah, I think so too. I feel like this series is going to go at least, at the very least, six games. It could end up being a seven game series. I mean, especially after we saw what the Pelicans, the trouble that the Pelicans gave to them. And I feel like the Mavericks are definitely a better team than the Pelicans. So we could definitely see it, end up seeing that series go six or seven, which would be very, very exciting because I hate when a series ends very shortly, which I think a lot of series in the East will end up finishing. I think both series will end up in finishing pretty quickly in the East. But I do, I do feel confident that in the West, like these teams really match up really well with each other. Um, like especially, I mean, like even guys like jo- um, Josh Green, he didn't really have a, um, he didn't have like a, like the most like flashy numbers, but like his emergence this season as a rotation player and still being able to play in the playoffs somewhat has been um, pro- should be very encouraging for Mavericks fans. Um, and we'll see how that goes going into the next series. Um, and yeah, I mean, um, Dinwiddie's definitely gonna have to keep up this um, this consistent play to definitely give them a chance. But yeah, they just they do have a really a lot of guys that did step up. Um, like Reggie Bullock, some games he would help them out, and like in Game Six, he didn't really produce that much, but he was still a factor because um, he ended up playing forty four minutes. But yeah, they just do have a really solid group of guys that they know what they're going to get from. 
And it's going to be very interesting to see how they do match up against the Suns because I do think it's going to be a very interesting series there as well. Yeah, no, 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 no question about it. Um, I, I think they're they're well equipped to 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 handle all the the good things the Suns can do. Although, interestingly enough, I, I don't know when when you, when the when the when a team has Chris Paul and and Devin Booker. I don't know exactly what the Mavericks like. Are they going to have Jalen Brunson? They're obviously not there. They're going to try and hive Luca, who I believe is an underrated defender, but he's more underrated from like a team perspective. You know, he's just like sort of crafty and he's really high IQ. So he knows like the spots to be and he sees plays coming. Um, but I wouldn't want to like put him on an Island with Chris Paul or Devin Booker. So I guess they're probably going to go with Brunson on Chris Paul and then Dorian Finney Smith on Booker. Um, but I, I, I don't think that they have the best personnel to match up against the, uh, the sun stars. And then on top of that, they have who, who, who are they going to put on Aiden? You know, they're going to have Dwight Powell. I feel like Aiden is just going to eat up whatever big the, uh, the Mavericks try to throw at them. So, and I'm kind of backtracking here, but, um, yeah, I guess I just think the Suns are actually going to win. Uh, you know, I do think it's going to be a close series, but I think the Suns are going to pull it out. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Because um, although the Suns had a lot of advantage matchups in um, their series against the Pelicans, which we'll get right into, um, which the Suns and did end up winning um, in game six on the road, 4-2, um, there was some injury there was an injury that happened in this series that maybe you can assume prolonged the series um which was the Devin Booker hamstring injury and he kind of looked he didn't look his best coming back in game six but they probably just needed his presence out there to just use as a decoy in my opinion but um yeah the um, Suns uh, Pelicans made this series very fun and interesting one thing that I, I am jealous of the Pelicans which is not any of their players but just the willingness of their coach to actually utilize three rookies in their playoff rotation and actually have them contribute to meaningful games down the stretch of the season, heading into the playing game, into this playoff series. I mean, that's what I'm jealous of as a Knicks fan of these Pelicans. And I mean, of course they have like, they have some great young talent that they can um, use to supplement Zion when he comes back next year with um Alvarado and, and Trey Murphy and Herb Jones and Brandon Ingram had a really nice coming out party this um these playoffs averaging about twenty seven per game and really had the the Suns wings um second guessing themselves I, I think. Um CJ McCollum had a pretty all right series. I mean he struggled in some games. Um definitely didn't help them a lot in game in game six. Um but yeah Herb Jones had a really great playoff series averaging um I mean, that last game, he had 16-4-4 and four steals. Like, he was just a defensive menace out there. Um, Jose Alvarado, also another defensive menace. But, um, oh, and yeah, Larry Nance Jr., I feel like he had a really great playoff series. I mean, just being able to um, give this team energy as well as, like, provide on the offensive glass. Um, on the Phoenix side of things, DeAndre and, and, and Chris Paul really had that pick-and-roll game going between them especially Chris Paul having a masterful 
33 points on 14 of 14 from the field um in that closeout game um there was a there was a small part of me that thought that this was going to go to game 7 which I would have really enjoyed because um unfortunately none of the first round series has ended in seven games um which I thought would have been interesting in in some spots but yeah this this series was very entertaining through and through and it, and it was fun to see a nice young, uh, to see a young team give um give a team like the the Suns a, a little bit of a scare I I think how'd you feel about this series <laughs> Uh, I, I agree with you completely. Um, I'm waiting for the first time that you're going to say something that I like, I just feel vehemently differently. <laughs> I think we, we kind of see the game very similarly. Um, but, uh, I want to touch upon the one thing you said about, uh, Willie Green, you know, trusting and giving, giving his young guys a chance to succeed or fail on the biggest stage. Um, I saw somebody tweet the other day that, you know, this playoff run, you know, sort of changed the trajectory for the Pelicans. And on one hand, I do want to say that I hope for the Pelicans sake that they don't view it that way. Because, you know, if they, if they treat, you know, Oh, we we took the defending Western conference champs six games we're we're closer. You know, I think they'd be making the same mistake that we talked about the Knicks making after 2021. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, they took the defending Western Conference champs six games on the backs of their young guys. So, you know, Ingram was really good, but Ingram's, you know, he's 24 years old or whatever. It's not like he's he's super old. Um, I, I think we have every reason to believe that Willie Green is going to keep playing Herbert Jones and Trey Murphy and, you know, Alvarado as their backup point guard or whatever. Um, we don't really have a reason to think that he's not going to do that. So do I think that if you just add Zion to this mix of players and, you know, you get n- nominal improvement across the board from your young guys? Yeah. I mean, I, I do think that the Pelicans can take a realistic step forward next year. Um, I, I agree with you about McCollum. I think we pretty much confirmed what we already knew, and that's that he's not a primary point guard. You can't just, you know, stick a combo guard and be like, okay, here, now you're the main ball handler. Uh, I think we learned that he actually was in a really good role in, in Portland as the, you know, the second guy, and Dame Lillard was the guy. Um, so I think for this core to really reach its it's peak. They, they need to find a guy who can be the guy. Now, maybe that is Brandon Ingram just making another step forward. Maybe, maybe McCollum plays off that. Um, you know, maybe Zion comes back after his year off and he, he helps there. Um, I'll, I'll be interested to see how they use Zion because we've, we've never seen Willie Green coach him, but the Pelicans have been very hesitant to use him as a center. But I, especially with Brandon Ingram and his, how much he loves the mid range, I don't see how you can have a starting lineup of Ingram, Herb Jones, Zion, and Jonas. Like that just feels untenable to me. Um, I think other teams will exploit that uh, that lack of space, and I think that'll just be a really hard time for them. I think you have to just, you have to start. Zion at center. Um, and yes, that is a house phone. People 
people have landlines somehow these days. Um, but uh, I'll be interested to see what they do with Zion. Um, but I think the future is very bright for, for the Pelicans. I think Willie Green is a heck of a coach. We saw what kind of motivator he is. I mean, some of those some of those uh, those replays of things he said on the team, especially during the Clippers game, were just so cool. He's clearly so passionate. He he seems very grateful and happy for this first coaching opportunity, and he's going to maximize it. And you know, obviously, we still have a full off season of moves that they can make, and there's tons we don't know. But I'm actually pretty damn high on the Pelicans going into the 2022-2023 season, uh, depending on what happens. Yeah, and it's um it, it's it's good to see like a young a young coach get an opportunity because you know like you see with Willie Green like he's just making the most of this opportunity and you know th- this team they could have just like laid down and died when they started out the season like 1 in 13 or whatever it was, but they just kept going, they kept going. He kept pushing his guys. He believed in them and it, it paid off, and you know, like that's that's part of the reason why I want to see the Knicks move away from having Thibs as the coach, and maybe you bring in a guy like Johnny Bryant and give him his first opportunity and see how he does, and maybe he has that same attitude that a lot of these first year guys have had with like Ime and like both the both the first year coaches in Pelicans and and in on on Boston they could have laid down and died when their season looked like it was going one way, but. They just kept at it with their guys, and they moved them the other direction. And those guys bought in, so it's 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 just it's, just, it's fun to see those situations happen around the league. And you know, you can only have you can only hope that it happens to to your team as well. Yeah, I I I, I mean, me and you obviously are in the same boat regarding Tibbs. Um, I think we're both just out. We both him. just. Yeah, we're both out on him. Uh, I will say, though, it does seem like, at least for now, all of the Knicks' most important young players are still very pro-Tibbs. Yeah. So, in terms of being bought in, I think we can at least... We should at least be happy that, you know, RJ, Quickly, Obi, you know, all these guys are going to keep working their ass off for Tibbs for whatever reason. I mean, (laughs) I I don't know if Leon is, like, just if he has some way of just drafting really high character guys, but mm-hmm. I mean, props to not to make this about the Knicks, but props to Obi and quickly for, there's a lot of people that they, that would have been out on their usage and how Tibbs treated them uh, yeah. relative to their teammates. But um, to bring it back to the Pelicans, you know, not only, like you said, you know, they started, what, what did they start? Like one in 15 or something ridiculous. One in like 13. That. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not only did Willie green not, you know, mail it in, but he didn't do that thing where it was like, okay, need to start winning now. So I'm going to, you know, ride, ride the veterans. He actually did the opposite and mm-hmm. was like, okay, we're one in 13. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this as a chance to elevate younger talent. Um, So, you know, me and you talked a bunch this season about Tibbs making decisions that were somehow simultaneously bad short-term and bad long-term. Well, Willie Green found a way to do the opposite of that and make decisions that worked out in the short-term but were optimal for the team long-term. Yeah, and that's what what you want to see from your coach, especially in your first-year coach, too. Um, 
But yeah, let's let's move on to the second round of the playoffs, which are going to start kicking off actually as of tomorrow with the Boston versus Milwaukee series. I feel like this is probably going to be a very this for me this series probably would have been more entertaining if Middleton was playing because we all know Middleton really shows up against Boston. Um that's probably like his best matchup. Um But yeah, the 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 Bucks are without Middleton heading into this series. We'll see if Grayson Allen and the others can pick up that slack still. It's going to be very different against this Boston defense because they are not like the Chicago Bulls at all, and they will not get as many op- open opportunities um, as they'd like. Um, and it's also going to be interesting to see um, how much Drew Holiday elevates because we know Giannis will do Giannis things, and we'll know the Celtics will do things to kind of mitigate that to a degree, but it's going to be interesting to see what Drew Holiday does because – he did pick up the slack in that first round series against the Bulls, but this is going to be a way tougher matchup against the um, the Celtics, just because we know we've seen what their defense can do and how much they can um, minimize the impact of others surrounding um, a star. So it's going to be very interesting to see what they do there. How do you feel about this series heading into it? Um, I'm a bit worried for the Bucks because. I think that Giannis has always matched up not well against the, the Celtics. I think they've always done a they I mean they were the first team to build a wall, you know, and, and deploy that defense against Giannis. Um and they're also just very uniquely equipped to guard him. Uh you know, it's sort of impossible to guard him one on one, but they have, you know, a guy they they have multiple guys who are taller who can slide with him and then you know if they want to get a little crazy they could even just put smart on him and smart is a freaking pit bull man like Giannis is not gonna be able to overpower him um and he also comes with that reputation of you know he just won defensive player of the year and this is gonna be the second time I said something like this this podcast and people are gonna think I'm conspiracy theorist but I genuinely believe that refs, you know, are less likely to call fouls on certain guys who have that sort of reputation. Oh, for sure. And so, you know, Giannis is going to shoot his free throws, but if it's Marcus Smart hounding him all game, they're not just going to foul Marcus Smart out. They, I mean, you know, he they, that's just not how it works. Um, and I, I think that he could make Giannis's life really tough, uh, and if he doesn't, if 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 they say okay, you know, we're not going to put Smart uh, directly on Giannis, we're going to let our wings take care of that. Well, all of a sudden they've got a wall for Giannis, and they've got the Defensive Player of the Year guarding Drew Holiday. Yeah. Um, and then on the other side of the ball, uh, Holiday is a great defender in his own right, but. He's a great defender on guys who like to use screens like Kyrie Irving and, and smaller guys. Mm-hmm. So both like Kyrie Irving, because I mean, first of all, I know this was meant in a negative connotation or that's where I was going with this, but watching Drew, Drew Holiday negate screens is like the nerd in me. Just, I love it so much. Like he just constantly, it's impossible to screen the guy. It's insane. Yeah, I was watching a clip against the Bulls. Like he just kept going like right through the screens and just like 
was not bothered by them at all and just kept he just stuck with DeRozan throughout all those screens, which was hilarious. It's insane. Um, but the thing is, is they don't really use Tatum in screen and roll that much. I mean, nope. obviously they do screen for him some, but he loves operating from the mid post by himself. And with his height advantage, I mean, you know, Drew is going to make him work, but is Drew going to shut him down? I, I nope. I'm a little bit skeptical on that. Um, so I just think the Bucks have a tough matchup on both sides of the ball. And uh, gun to my head, I think I'm going with the Celtics in this series. Yeah, I, I think this and I think this series probably could end up ending really quick, too. Um, I've seen a lot of people predict like Celtics in five or Celtics in six. And I think it, it could end up going that way, especially with the lack of Middleton. And um, even if they did have Middleton, I'd still be a little bit skeptical, too, because Middleton just hasn't been that great this year as well. Like. He's been very inconsistent, and we know Middleton does have a reputation of playing well against Boston, but it's just he's been so inconsistent this year, it's hard to really tell if that would have made that much of a difference either. But it is going to be very interesting from a matchup standpoint because, um, like you said, the Celtics do have that personnel to build the wall. It's going to be very interesting to see if the Bucks do kind of um, start Giannis at like the mid-post area in order to like mitigate that wall. Because I know that teams have tried to build that wall, but then Giannis has just started to like post up and stuff like that. And when you start to post up from from a certain spot, you can't build a wall when he's posting up. So it's going to be very interesting. Yeah, but you just kind of live with that. Like, yeah, I always felt the same way. Uh, you know, obviously Giannis isn't peak LeBron. Um both from, you know, output and from a profile standpoint. But there would be games when LeBron would, you know, have it going and he would be hitting these tough fallaways and, you know, he would be going to work in the post. And as someone who's watched, had to have watched as much LeBron as anyone, I just always felt like the biggest mistake teams made was reacting to that and sending double teams. Mm-hmm. Because all he did was just find three-point shooters and, and and put layups and dunks on a platter for his teammates, and that would get his teammates involved in the game. I feel like the best thing that you can do against these guys is get, show them one man and make them be so dominant that they beat you by themselves. Because when you take the teammates out of the game, all of a sudden they lose their feel and their rhythm and their flow for the game. And that affects you on both ends. And it just, I just think that's a much preferable way to beat these elite talents as opposed to sending doubles their way and getting their teammates involved and getting them open looks. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, next series, the only other series out in the East actually is um, Celtics. I'm mean, not Celtics. Um, Miami versus the Sixers. Sixers are going to be starting this one without Joel Embiid, who is out indefinitely again, with, like we said, with the orbital fracture and the concussion. So starts out in Miami. We know Miami is um, probably one of the better um, strip, lo- strip club locations for Mr. James Harden. <laughs> um, so it's going to be very interesting to see how he approaches that series, being, once again, the number one option and the focal point of this team. Um and yeah, no James Harden to, I mean, no Joel Embiid to really kind of siphon off that energy that's going to be focused on him. And we saw 
how Miami threw multiple bodies at Trey Young, they're going to do the same thing to James Harden. And we'll see how Tyrese Maxey and, and Tobias Harris kind of like feed off of that. Cause like, if they can't like kind of like release some of that pressure off of him, it's going to be a very nasty exit for James Harden and the Sixers. Um, how, how do you feel about this one? I just think the heat are going to roll. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm not the highest on James Harden. Um, I know you're not. Oh, I, I yeah, do think sure. I do I do I do I do think in a weird way, the Embiid injury kind of frees him mentally, because like this can't unless he really lays an egg, like he'd have to be really really bad for this to affect his legacy at all. Um, which in a weird way, yeah, it just frees you mentally. So, and then I also do think that he's going to get a bit friendlier, friendlier of a whistle than he normally would have just because he's going to be putting pressure on the refs to make a call more than he would have since he's going to be the primary guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, they just don't have enough. I mean, as stupid as this sounds, this, this, this is why the Seth Curry toss into that Simmons trade hurt them. This is just another reason why it hurts them because they already were lacking depth and um, it just can't be a good thing to have to dust off DeAndre Jordan. That's just that that can't Oof. be a good thing. Yeah. I just remembered that they have him and they'll have to use him in this series. Um, and you know Doc Rivers will use him willingly. So Sixers fans, be prepared for an early exit, especially if Joel Embiid is out for at least the first three games because – we know these concussion protocols in the NBA kind of take a little bit longer to clear, um, especially with the orbital fracture. That's just compounding onto it. And then he's also got the hand thing. It's just he's got a lot going in it, 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 not in his favor. And I think that kind of as much as I did want to see the Sixers demise, I wanted it. I wanted it to be the, with them at full strength. Like I it, I it, it doesn't bring me as much joy seeing the Sixers go out with just James Harden and Tyrese Maxey on the court like. I wanted to see them fully healthy. So that way, like it felt that much better, but you know, that's just the way things roll in the NBA, you know, injuries happen and just got to keep rolling with it. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, we don't have to talk too long about this, but what do you think, what would your outlook on the series have been if Embiid was fully healthy? Do you think you still would have picked the heat? Um, I probably would have been a, a little bit more hesitant on picking the Heat. I think the series would have went seven, though. Yeah, I, I think I would have gone as far as to say that I would have picked the Sixers. Um, you know, Bam's great, but Embiid's a big dude, and yeah, and, uh, yeah, it really is too bad that he's hurt. Um. It is. This would have been a very interesting series, and who knows? You know, I mean, look, the Heat, the Heat will be prepared. They've got one of the best coaches in the game. They've got a really strong, you know, everyone loves the Heat culture. Um, but with Butler and Lowry and Spolstra, they're not gonna, you know, it, I'd be, I'd be shocked if they came into the series unprepared. But all it takes is one, you know, one rough shooting night by the Heat, one just the Sixers just laying it on. And then 
who knows, you know, it's 1-1 headed back to Philly and Embiid's cleared for game three. We could, you know, we could be talking about something here. Um, the indefinitely tag sucks because is it likely that Embiid's even back by game three? Probably not, but crazier things have happened. Yep, crazier things have happened. On to the West with the one versus the four seed, I believe. Yeah, one versus the four. Um, Suns versus the Mavericks, and I think we've kind of we kind of already a little bit of a deep dive into their their matchups. Um, I I do have the Suns ultimately coming out of this one, um, um, and I have them coming out in six. Like you said, with the DeAndre and stuff. Um, what is what is what is the Dallas what do the Dallas Mavericks do against that? That's gonna be the very interesting thing. Um as well as um the Sun with um how do the how do the Mavericks match up with the Suns guards, their backcourt? We'll see if Devin Booker looks that much better from um that game six against the Pelicans, because I, I did notice that he did not look himself. Um and he did play limited minutes. Um, so we'll see if how that impacts him in game in game one and, and we'll see if the Mavericks look to exploit that too because you know that's something that they could exploit if he's not himself on the defensive end they can look to target him as well so it's gonna be a very interesting thing to see there we'll see how the Suns also approach Jalen Brunson how do they guard him um I assume they'll be better equipped than the than the Jazz were but it's gonna be interesting to see what they do there um but how do you feel about the series yeah, I think the I think the Suns are going to win in five or six games. Um, something I didn't mention earlier: Bridges is going to make Luca's life hell. He is about as good as you can do against a guy like Luca. Maybe maybe a maybe a touch small, but um, not not like not height wise, but uh, build wise, Luca can use his strength against Bridges. But um, I think the Suns will throw Chris Paul at Brunson. Um, I, I'll be curious to see if the Suns take care of business at home and Booker continues to look like he did in Game 6 against New Orleans. I wonder if they'll do what the Heat did against the Hawks and, uh, you know, they, they sat Butler Game 5 against the Hawks uh, when he was kind of let, let him rest, rest an injury. I wonder if they'd sit Booker in Game Three if they were up two zero and he still didn't look quite right. Hmm, um, that's interesting. I, because I do think ultimately they're going to win this series, and I know you can't exactly think like that, but they're gonna. If the ultimate showdown does happen and it's Suns Warriors in the Western Conference Finals, they need Booker to be Devin Booker. Um, yeah. And the goal is to win a championship. That's something that people underrate. Um, so, like, let's say the Suns are, you know, 75% to win this series. Um, how much does Devin Booker sitting a game hurt that equity? I would argue, especially if they're up 2-0, I, I would argue very little. But if it ups if it improves his health and ups their chances of winning the Western Conference Finals, I think it's something you'd have to consider. Um because you can't have him looking as tentative as he did in game six against New Orleans, against the Warriors. Or shoot, even against Dallas. I mean, I, I think I, I think we both agree, or we definitely both agree that 
Phoenix is going to win, but let's not cut, let's not sell Dallas short. They're a good not. team. Yeah, yeah they're they're, they're good, better they're than the Pelicans. Team. I mean, they do have different aspects that of their team that they can't replicate that what the Pelicans were able to exploit in certain games, but they'll be able to exploit other areas too. So they're yeah, not a team absolutely. that's going to just like go out there and die against the the Suns. A hundred percent. Yeah, I I agree entirely. And Booker's Booker's a big part of that. He's got to. Uh, he, he he needs to play better than he did in game six and hopefully he's uh hopefully he's able to get healthy yeah and I, I thought they brought him back too quickly i don't know if they were just worried if like i don't know if they were just worried that they weren't going to be able to close it out in game six without at least his presence on the court to use as somewhat of a decoy in certain situations but i just thought they brought him back too quickly especially like hamstring injuries they're just something you don't want to mess around with so yeah a hundred percent um I mean, we're not like doctors. We're we don't have the information they they do, but what you're saying is definitely right. Um, you don't want to mess with hamstring injuries, and uh, who knows? We'll we'll see. But that could very well be something that hurts them if he continues to look tentative. Yeah. Um. Last second round matchup in this preview is Golden State versus Memphis. We also kind of little bit of a deep dive um while we were talking about these teams earlier but um golden state versus the grizzlies um it's gonna be very interesting to see how the grizzlies um guard steph because that's gonna be um interesting um as well as um how do the how do the warriors guard ja because with um with a player like ja morant um, you kind of need those bigger physical um, guards and wings to guard against him. And I don't know if you're going to really task um, Clay Thompson with that kind of assignment um, early on and um, early on in, in, in this type of um, um, in his, in his recovery, as well as um, if you want to have Wiggins approach that defensive matchup, that's another interesting thing as well. Um, and it, like, like I said earlier, I, th- I just think this is going to be one of those series that um, Steve Kerr, he might go deep into his bench, might use one of those rookies like a Jonathan Kuminga or a um, like a Moses Moody and like see how they do in this in this matchup because like. Memphis is a deep team and they're not going to use all the same players that they used in that last matchup um, against the, um, against the Timberwolves, just because I guess the Timberwolves, it required them to use different personnel while versus the Warriors, it might require them to use more of uh D'Anthony Melton, or it might require them more to use, um, use guys like you might use Steven Adams. Steven Adams might be, someone you utilize in this series but it's just going to be very interesting to see what these teams do from a personnel standpoint because like we've mentioned earlier they do have a lot of different options that they can go to in this series um especially memphis memphis is one of the deeper teams out in the west so it's going to be very interesting to see how they um how they bring um how they go about um how memphis goes about using their personnel in this series uh, how, how do you feel about this series, Jeff? 
Yeah, I uh, I 100% agree about the depth. Uh, I think Memphis's depth could end up being, if they do win this series, could be the thing that that helps them win it because, as we alluded to earlier, they are they they have the personnel to live with a a bad game from John Morant, you know. Um, and like you just said. It doesn't have to be the same guys that you know thrived uh, against against Minnesota. Um, you you brought up Melton, which was good. Um, I I do think that because the Warriors, even when even when the Warriors use their uh, death lineup, Draymond's not a stretch five in the way that Carl Anthony Towns is. Obviously, um, yeah. now, um. I don't think you want to use Steven Adams against them, yeah. but um, the point is, is that Adam, I, I would be surprised unless there's an injury. If Adams is just completely out of the rotation again, I think, I think towns played Adams off the court, but um, you know, if, if the Warriors are going to start Looney and go back to a more traditional starting lineup, I could very easily see, you know, Adams back in his normal role. Um, counterpoint to that is we just saw what Steph Curry did to Nikola Jokic, who... Um, yeah. You don't want to give him an easy target in the switches. Right. Um, in the play-in game last year, where Grizzly, where the where Memphis won at Golden State, um, which had the, the famous Draymond Green floater, which, which is still <laughs> hilarious to watch. Um, they ran... Uh, one of my favorite plays I can remember. The, the Warriors have so many... They're they're just so smart, especially Steph Curry and Draymond Green. But Steven Adams was on the floor, and he was guarding Draymond Green. And their defense against Draymond Green was... Basically, Steven Adams would just stand in the paint. Like, he wouldn't even... He, he didn't even pay attention to Draymond. And they tried to run screen and rolls for Steph where Steph would be able to just dribble around a screen and step into a three. But the Grizzlies defense, uh, the, the Grizzlies, I forget if it was Dylan Brooks. Yeah. Dylan Brooks did such a good job of negating the screens that, um, Steph wasn't able to get good looks, even with Steven Adams playing a, a weird, a weird version of drop coverage. Wait, last year's and playing. Yeah, in last year's playing game. Oh, you mean Valanciunas? Because they got Stephen Adams this year. Yeah, I don't know why I said Stephen Adams. <laughs> Valanciunas. That is that is that is who I mean. Sorry. Um, yes, Valanciunas is who I'm thinking. And yes, he was the guy who was playing in the paint. And so the Warriors adjusted by having Steph start on the weak side of the court, and Draymond Green would instead of having Steph run a screen and roll, they would do dribble handoffs. And they kept doing these like inverted dribble handoffs that would clear space for Steph Curry. And this is my long nerdy way of saying that the Warriors are going to force the Grizzlies to going small, whether that's Brandon Clark, whether that's Jaron Jackson. I I don't know if Steven Adams is going to be able to stay on the court 
for super for a super long time, even even with Looney on the floor. But I do think he's gonna have more of an impact against the Warriors than he did against the Timberwolves. Yeah, for sure. And looking back at last year's playing roster for the Warriors, it's just hilarious looking at their their box score. They had Bazemore starting. Poole came off the bench with Toscano Anderson and Michael Mulder, who isn't in the league right now. And I just I just think that's funny, just like seeing the difference in last year's Golden State team compared to to this year's Golden State team. But um, yeah, I feel like this series is going to be another interesting one. I feel like both the Western Conference matchups can can go at least six or seven, which is which is very good because you know it's good to see um, great teams match up against each other that have a potential to go a long way. Um, but yeah, that game one kicks off tomorrow um, after the Boston Celtics game one. So we are in for a very interesting round of the playoffs. Um, Jeff, do you have anything to plug before we head out of here? Um, just anyone listening, I'm sure you know that me and Sam are both over at Strickland. Um, I've taken a little bit of a break, had some life stuff, but got a lot of cool stuff coming up. I've got three different articles in the works right now, um, which is just adding to my anxiety because it's like it's hard enough when you have one thing you want to do, but I have three things that – I'm trying to finish simultaneously. Um, we've got a bunch of good podcasts. Um, so yeah, just follow the Strickland and we appreciate your support and keep that going. Yep. And you know, I always plug the Strickland at the end of episode, every episode so since Jeff did, I don't have to. So we'll be out of here. Thank you, Jeff, for hopping on with me, talking some NBA playoffs. I'm sure you'll be on multiple times before we head to the finals. Um, but yeah, thanks. Um, and we're out of here. Peace. Thank you.